So, Mr. Wells. Mr. Sanderson. Food heist. Do you want a food heist? You've told me that you got sent an excellent food heist. I know nothing otherwise about okay. it. Okay. This is not a food heist. This is a food fraud. Okay. But. It's food heist adjacent. We'll allow it. For one specific reason, it's the most amazing one anyone has ever sent us. Okay. Are they stealing something that you just absolutely love? No. Okay. We'll get to it. Okay. And maybe this will not be as funny to everyone else as it is to me, but it's very funny to me. So this is maple syrup. Okay. We already okay. had a maple syrup food heist. We've talked about the great yeah. maple syrup mm -hmm. heist. Yep. This one is not a heist. This is a fraud. This is okay. 1999. Okay. There was a guy who was caught in Vermont cutting his maple syrup with beet syrup. Ooh, ooh, right? Oh, I mean, and if you're like a hardcore maple syrup person, yeah, that's unconscionable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would imagine they have uh, good maple syrup over in Vermont. You know, it's right? not Canada where this is probably a capital offense. Yeah, but punishable by death. Yeah, this guy actually only got nine months. He got fourteen months, and he only served nine. And then they nine months. For cutting mm -hmm. your maple syrup with yes, okay, uh, and and Beet I have juice. the the original article from 1999. The pullout quote from it is delightful. It says, "Former employees later told the FBI and federal prosecutors that Ames ran a Jekyll and Hyde company, one that packed pure maple products by day and at night secretly cut the syrup with beet sugar." Okay. Yeah. That is. That you can is... tell they take their syrup very seriously. Yes. And their journalism. Yeah. Uh, that's a good pull okay. quote. So, so now do you want to know the part that makes this endlessly delightful to me? Okay. This was sent to me by the dude's grandson. <laughs> wow. We have a famous listener. Yeah. We have a listener who is directly tied. Directly descended from. From Food Heist Mafia. The perpetrator of this wow. crime. Like, people send food heists to me all yes. the time now, and I, I love it when you do. Please keep doing it. Yes. This guy ratting out his own grandfather, I have not stopped I laughing. Mean, this is not ratting out. This is a mark of pride, right? That said, I don't know. I don't know if white-collar food heist embezzlement fraud you know, it's not you know, fraud. Yeah. yeah. Gets yeah. you that much, right? Like, well, so here's the last little bit of delight that I get mm -hmm. from this. When the grandfather, the dude was yeah. sentenced and indicted, yep. this guy's parents had to move up their wedding so that they could get married before he went into prison. Okay. And wait, wait. then. Nine months okay. later. The children of the perpetrator. Yes. The parents of the grandson. Yes. Got it. So the guy yeah. who sent it to me is yes. the grandson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. His parents had to move up their wedding so that they mm -hmm. could get married before he went to prison so that the guy could be there for it. Right. And then As he was does. released from prison uh -huh. just a little right before, a few days before the guy was born. Ah, well, so very considerate his, uh, pol police. Yeah. Uh, his um, gestation there. Yes. lines up perfectly with his grandfather's interment. And you know, I will say this for the grandfather. It could have been corn syrup, which would have been even more offensive, right? He went with the classier. The more sophisticated. Sophisticated food-derived <laughs> sugar substitute. Our vegetable-derived sugar substitute. I guess all sugars are vegetable-derived, are they not? As far as I'm aware. Yes. So. Yes, they are. Yeah. Anyway, the guy told me his name is Michael Bailey. Shout out to Michael Bailey, mm. your infamous Jekyll and Hyde beet syrup grandfather. The grandfather has 
Roger Ames is his name. Uh -huh. He has unfortunately passed away since this mm. happened. But Michael says, I would like to think that he would have appreciated being on your podcast as well. So, well, he probably spent nine months or whatever it was in food heist prison during the day, just being <laughs> a, a kindly gentleman. But at night, oh man, he will make you bleed beet syrup. He, yeah. Had yeah, mm -hmm. that Jekyll and Hyde persona yeah. yep. stuck around. Yep, yeah, he spent a good eight or nine months as the enforcer in prison. If we are assuming, you know, this food heist prison, mm -hmm. I don't think he was the enforcer. Yeah. I like to imagine he was the fixer. He was like, okay, yeah. you know, Morgan mm -hmm. Freeman in Shawshank Redemption, the guy who could get anything for you. Yeah, yeah, make you It's make just every now and then he'd bring you something just absolutely drenched in beet syrup. Beet syrup shivs. You could dry that stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, this could be a useful guy. You, Think you, of all you the want stuff. A poster of Raquel Welch or whatever. Yeah. Covered with beet. Covered syrup. with beet syrup. Made out of it. Yeah. You know, you can dry that mm -hmm. beet syrup. Like I'm saying, you can make stuff. Use it as paint. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one was a stretch. <laughs> anyway, uh, what are we talking about today, Dan? Today we're going to talk about Moonbreaker. Moonbreaker, which involves zero beats. As far as I'm aware, there are mm. no beats. So there are musical beats and the mm -hmm. beats that you're putting down on your opponents. Yes. So. You lay a beat down mm -hmm. while listening to beats. Mm -hmm. And if you're in Vermont, perhaps drinking beet syrup, whether you know it or not. So what is Moonbreaker? So Moonbreaker is a video game that you and I have worked on. We have. Yeah. This is my second video game I've ever worked on. What about you? Have you? What was your first one? It was called Infinity Blade. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. I played that one. Mm. Yes, this is my first video game. Oh, that's I have kind written of, for a lot of role-playing yeah. games. This is the first video game. It's kind of surprising to me with as much as, you know, you like mm -hmm. to be involved in all different aspects of storytelling yep. and media and I things like that. I am certainly open to more video games that mm -hmm. want to hire me, but... You are busy being VP of a company now. I, Let's I just am. point that out. <laughs> what would you drop me for? What drop is your you for? Yeah, yeah. Like you know oh, how man. some people have this like you know one sheet pass. <laughs> like if there's a if there's like a video game company is like, hey, we need a VP in charge of worldwide narrative. What would make you be like, Brandon? Got to yeah. take my out. Okay. Um, is it like League of Legends? If I get offered showrunner on a Star Trek series, okay. I'm leaving you on oh, the side of the road. Start? I didn't expect it to go there. No. Yeah. We haven't talked Not Trek. Not a staff writer. Yeah. Yeah. But showrunner, I'm gone. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which is a bad decision. Yeah. Because that would last me, at the very most, seven years. And probably far fewer and then I would just be an unemployed TV writer, which is not really a career goal of mine. I would still make the decision, but I would regret it eventually. We do need to talk Star Trek sometime because we are uber nerds. Yeah. And we have not spent nearly enough time. There's actually a little quota they keep so that you can keep your nerd card <laughs> of Star Trek references that you make on your podcasts. And really? we are well behind. Yeah. Dang it. Yeah. They've been pounding yeah. on the door. It doesn't sound so loud because they have to do it like this. But, you know. So... At this point, many years ago, when they first announced, mm -hmm. hey, Disney's going to buy Lucasfilm and start making new Star Wars stuff. Yes. Which was what? Was that like 10 years ago that they yeah. made that announcement? I thought, okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm excited for that. Yeah. And then just a couple of months later, mm -hmm. Paramount was like, hey, so guess what? We're going to make a new Star Trek series. Yes. And I went 
bananas. Did you? I started, I wrote this gargantuan post on my blog. I did like, if I were in charge of Star Trek, here's how I would advance the storyline. And that was the point where I realized, oh, I've always considered myself an equal fan of both. I am very clearly more excited about this. All right, we need to talk about this and move Moonbreaker to the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Moonbreaker's next episode. Because, okay, I mean, we're deep into this. Mm -hmm. I didn't know this about you. You did not. I knew you liked it, but I thought Ben liked it way more. I hear Ben talking about Star Trek incessantly. Never shutting up. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, I love Star Trek. Okay. So much. All right. Let's go down the classic Trek questions. Best captain? Best captain? Yes. Now, you say this is a classic Trek question, but I assume this is not a question about classic Trek. We can include all of the series. All the series. Yeah. Who's best captain? Oh, boy. And is favorite captain different from best captain? Favorite captain different than best captain. That's the thing, because favorite captain is going to be Cisco from Deep Space Nine. Mine as well. Absolutely. But in... Best yeah. captain terms, I don't know if I would want to serve under Cisco right. were I a member of Starfleet. Yes, and the right? number of disasters averted by Picard and things like that. <laughs> like, this man is not a starship captain. He is like a force of nature going about the galaxy, stopping disasters, planets from exploding, mm-hmm. wars from breaking out, all with really nice speeches. Yeah. So I would have to say Picard's the best captain. And Cisco's my favorite. Now, if we really want to get nerdy, I think there's a lot of fairly solid evidence that Picard, as a captain, uh-huh. is overly protective of his crew to the point that he hurts their careers. Oh, yes. That's definitely an argument. But I would argue back that okay. the effectiveness of the Enterprise during his tenure in, you know, stopping the Borg from rewriting history. Multiple times. Right? From averting galactic disasters means that it's kind of okay if Riker doesn't get to be a captain. Mm -hmm. Like, his needs are outweighed by the needs of the many, to misquote a phrase. And so, yes, you know, Riker suffered by being held onto by Picard. But when you find someone as effective as Riker... You just keep him on your staff. You, you don't let him staff. go be a captain yeah. and advance his career. Well, you need him to, you know, go down and get Zephyr and Cochran knocked around so that he can, so you know. So that he can help stuff out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I love is that throughout the series, as early as season three and Best of mm-hmm. Both Worlds, anytime you see Riker mm-hmm. in command yes. without Picard, he absolutely shines. Yeah, he He's nails an incredible it. Incredible captain. Yes, he is. And then later in the movies, mm-hmm. and then in the Picard series, like he's really good. Yes. And then Picard's like, nope, back in your place, boy. And I don't know. I like Picard a lot, but all right. I just think that's a funny aspect. Keep going down the questions. I assume your favorite trek then is Deep Space Nine. Yes. Okay. Yes. And the only hesitance there is that two of the new series are really starting to give it a run for its money. Okay. You mean Lower Decks and... Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds. Okay. Lower Decks in particular this season, like Mm -hmm. I just watched the most recent episode this afternoon Mm -hmm. while I was eating lunch. It is absolutely hitting everything out of the park. Just nonstop home runs. Last week's episode was a straight up like full-blown epic YA novel in 22 minutes done with cartoons about a robot named Peanut Hamper. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. I have seen a single episode of that 
or I haven't actually seen a single episode of anything of the new Trek series. Really? Yeah. Strange New Worlds is so good. I have heard that, but part of me wants to support them in doing something, you know, that the fans like. Mm -hmm. Part of me is just like annoyed with them that it's like, this is how you should have started. And now you come crawling back and saying, okay, okay, we'll listen and do what you guys want, guys. You'll still pay attention, right? Mm -hmm. We need subscribers, please. Um, <laughs> and so I yeah. don't know. Well, and Strange New Worlds is all by itself, merely by existing, mm -hmm. the most brutal excoriation of Star Trek Discovery yeah. that could exist. It is everything that Star Trek can be, and mm -hmm. it does it so well, and it does it by following the formula that everybody knew was going to work. That Gene Roddenberry set up. Yeah. And, yeah. and Discovery is trying so hard. It is the edgiest teenager in the Forever 21, and even its very best episodes mm -hmm. aren't as good as the mid-range Strange New Worlds episodes. Okay. Well. Yeah. I will have to watch them. We'll do that at some point. We will do it live. No, we will not do it live. <laughs> no, 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 no. We would get copyright struck so quickly. Yes, we would. All right. Continuing upon my um, list of, you know, obligatory, obligatory Star questions. questions. What was your, by the way, favorite series? Was it uh, also uh, DS9? Deep, Deep Space Nine. Why? So, because yeah. I think it's important to point out, yeah, and, and now that we've raised this mm -hmm. specter, my favorite Star Trek is DS9 is absolutely the... I went to an Ivy League school okay. kind of yeah. way of talking about Star Trek, right? Yes, yeah. It's How kind about of this? a snooty thing to say. My favorite episodes of Star Trek are Next Generation. And okay. My favorite series is Deep Space Nine. I don't think this is a, as you say, this is not an uncommon opinion. Mm -hmm. The reason for this being is I am an epic fantasy writer and enjoyer and continuity makes me love something more. Yes. Well done continuity. And I had been starved for well done continuity in the 90s because television refused to do it. And Deep Space Nine gave it to me. And I really like that. So there's that. I feel like as good a captain as Picard is, and he's just amazing, Cisco's more human. Picard gets some of those moments, which is why I really love... First Contact, though a lot of hardcore Trekkies do not like First Contact. Yeah. I do because I like the whole Picard having to be flawed and have issues thing. But Picard basically is Picard. He's, he's yeah. you know, they explore him. It's not like he's not a character. He definitely has nuance and mm -hmm. things like this. But Cisco is rough around the edges in ways that are interesting and yeah. make for me a more dynamic long-term narrative. Well, and Cisco has to deal with the consequences of his own choices. Yes. In a way that Picard rarely ever has to do. And I yeah. think that adds a lot of complexity to the show and to the character. I like the world building of Deep Space Nine. Next Generation will have occasional world building episodes that are good. Mm -hmm. But dealing with religion and an actual long-term alien species with you know all of their politics and things like this scratches that epic fantasy itch gets better when Worf comes along and you get to have when next generation did this it was often with the klingons yeah. and you get to add that all into deep space 9 you have some really interesting things with dax and an entire species that's just very different that you know you can have an episode of original Trek or Next Generation that explores this interesting biology, mm -hmm. but it's completely different to spend an entire series exploring it. Yeah, and just really digging into yeah. 
the Cardassians and the Bajorans and eventually the Klingons and everything. And it's not to say that Next Generation doesn't do that, right? Like, it's very close up there. Data's mm-hmm. exploration of what it means to be human is that sort of thing and yeah. done very, very well. But that's why. Yeah. It just felt like a more mature narrative long term. Though my favorite episode of Trek ever is the flute episode, like a lot the of people. Inner Light. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. My favorite episode of all-time Star Trek mm-hmm. is Darmok. Oh, yeah. That's also yeah. Next Gen. Yeah. Very close to yeah. the top on my list as well. That might be number two. Yeah. So, yeah. So, before we totally leave the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, continuity, long-form storytelling question... Yes. In the 90s, at the same time, yes. Babylon 5 came out and yes. was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Were you a Babylon 5 fan? I respect Are you a Babylon, Babylon 5? 5 quite a bit, and everything I've seen of it, I like. Um, I was not the hardcore Babylon 5 fan, mostly because it did not align with my ability to watch television. So mm-hmm. when it was on, I couldn't have the TV, or later on, I was at college, I believe, and things like this. And so while Next Generation came on, like, Sunday nights at 11 or 10, yeah, and I could watch from 10 to 11, and then it was my bedtime, I couldn't get to wherever Deep Sp- or Bad um, Fly was, so I caught, like, episodes here and there. The same thing, you know, mm-hmm. happened with Doctor Who, where it's, like, over here, who knows which station is playing it occasionally (laughs) so i've seen smidgens of doctor who and i've liked what i've seen but i never became a super fan just because it's it's not as accessible yeah that was my experience with babylon 5 as Mm -hmm. well yeah for whatever reason and it may have been i had to choose like a certain number of hours of tv and star trek one it may have been just lack of ability to access it at the, the right time frame i know in college Ben and I were constantly trying to find free TVs yeah. that weren't already being used to watch Friends and ER. I didn't see a lot of Deep Space Nine until I was roommates with Ben, and he showed it to me. Okay. I had really enjoyed it, and I'd followed it better, but those early college years mm-hmm. when it was on, it was really hard to find yeah. a TV and watch. Well, plus uh, you and I served missions yes. during the run of Deep yeah. Space Nine. Two years And away. Voyager. Yeah. I, I missed two years of both series. So I, a couple years ago, decided, this is at this point, probably five or six years Mm -hmm. ago, thought it would be really interesting to go back and watch Babylon 5 because I had never Uh seen it. Yep. And it didn't work for me. Okay. It's a show where I can absolutely see how it worked for other people. Mm -hmm. And I can see how it would have worked better for me as a teenager than it would Mm. as a 40-year-old guy. But yeah. Do you know uh, J. Michael Straczynski did a pilot for Dark One? I did hear that. Yes. Yeah. Didn't go anywhere. It's one of the books that Dan and I are working on together. But yeah. he did do a pilot for it. Like filmed it or just wrote it? Wrote it. Wrote it. Um, it was really cool to meet him. Went to dinner a number of times. Chatted about things. Uh, mm-hmm. Smart guy. Knows the industry really well. Yeah. I was very impressed. Yeah. So Everything that I've read of his, I have loved. I hope he doesn't ever find my blog in which I talk about Babylon 5 because... Well, it's fairly critical. Joe, if you're watching this, don't go look at it. Don't go look yeah. it up. Okay, yeah. so next Star Trek. Next questions. Star Trek question is best movie, best movie, and favorite movie. Okay, across all, not counting New Trek. Okay. We'll get to New Trek as a separate. We can't question. count New Trek. We can't count New Trek yet. Okay, are you really going to put a New Trek? No, movie obviously as your the best Star Trek movie is Galaxy Quest. 
Okay. I don't agree. <laughs> it's probably number three. Okay. They did a poll once at one of the big Star Trek conventions of best Star Trek movies, and it made mm-hmm. the list above a oh, bunch of them. Yeah, it's because um, it's it's overtly and obviously a Star Trek movie. But but it I and, and I think it's amazing. After that, it is very hard for me to not pick Star Trek Six: Undiscovered okay. Country, and that is my Country. Cold War kid background shining through. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of the other ones. I would put. Wrath of Khan up there. I would put First Contact up there. Yeah. Honestly, Star Trek Into Darkness, which is a new Trek movie, I would put maybe even top five with Into the rest Darkness of those that I'm talking about. That's the third, third one. one. Third one is yeah. the best of the new Trek, though the first one is not bad. Yeah. I like the first one a lot. So I had Emily watch Wrath of Khan because she'd never seen it before. We actually mm-hmm. watched the episode first and then watched it. And it holds up. It's just a very well-filmed, well-made movie. Yeah. Paced very slowly by modern standards. Definitely. Um, which is not to its detriment, I would say. <laughs> but I still prefer First Contact, which okay. I understand to be a bit, I mean, I think that there's a war going on here. Some people don't like the yet again leaning on time travel, yet again leaning on the Borg, yet again you know doing mm-hmm. all these things, plus splitting the cast into two groups. Mixed with a lot of people don't like that Picard. Like you can't to them have the quintessential Picard Star Trek movie unless it is a Picard gives a speech movie. Yeah. Right. Which I can totally understand. It is too bad that we don't have a classic Picard gives a speech and unites the galaxy movie. <laughs> the winger speech Picard yes, movie. Because that's how he ends so many great episodes and things like that. And just diplomacy Picard, right? Yeah. Instead, all of our Picard movies are, well, it's in the theater, so he needs to hold a gun at some point in the movie. So he does. Yeah, well, in First Contact, mm-hmm. it works for me because, mm-hmm. yes, it's kind of sensationalized. It's a more action-oriented Picard, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But also, it is very overtly a story about him overcoming racial hatred. Yes. He deeply despises the Borg on an extremely intimate level. Mm-hmm. And it's a story about him coming to terms with that. Well, I, I mean, dislike the fact that every time a Star Trek writer needs to deal with obsession, mm-hmm. they start quoting Moby Dick. Like, that just comes up over and over. And you can see why. I mean, the Patrick naval, Stewart saying, yeah. had my chest been a cannon, I would have spat out my heart upon him. Like, that's mm-hmm. incredibly powerful. But yeah. come on. Khan did the same thing. We always go back to Moby Dick. It's a really good book. It, yeah, well. I happen to really love Moby mm-hmm. Dick. Like, genuinely, not ironically. Yeah. It's one of my favorite classics. So, yeah. But I just love it. I like that they split the narrative and that you have this kind of, the sort of Star Trek I won't say it's politics with Zephyrin Cochran, but, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of little bit lighthearted, little yeah. bit, you know, hearkening back to Star Trek Four sort of plot line. While this enormous zombie apocalypse is happening on the main ship yeah, and Picard is being wrung out and, you know, data is being potentially turned and all of these things, it works really well for me. It brings to a conclusion many of the things that I loved about the series it yeah. made up for generations, which was so forgettable that, like, I can remember one scene from it. And it's one because it made me laugh in an yeah. ironic way. So <laughs> that's my favorite. Okay. And it's a very good one. It's absolutely mm-hmm. in my top five. 
Mm-hmm. What is your opinion of Undiscovered Country? That would probably be number two. Really? Yeah. I really like Undiscovered Country. I like Klingon stuff. I, mm-hmm. I think it's fun and interesting for Star Trek to play with its long and weird history with the Klingons. And... It did some very interesting, cool things with the Klingons and with an aging cast. And unlike Star Trek V, it acknowledges the agingness of them. Yeah. And it plays with this idea of we are hanging on to our use. Everyone is hanging on to it. It is time for this to be over with, you know. Well, and once again, you know, I can't remember actually if mm-hmm. Six quotes Moby Dick, but I'd be surprised if it didn't. It uh, quotes Hamlet. It quotes everything. Mm-hmm. And one of the running gags is that everyone attributes the famous quotes to their own culture, which I think is delightful. Yes. But, you know, it is about Kirk, again, coming to terms with mm-hmm. a racial hatred. Yes. And for me, you know, coming out of the Cold War at that moment, mm-hmm. like we have hated the Klingons forever and now we have to be friends with them. Yeah was incredibly powerful to me. And that helped me kind of figure out and navigate the politics of the time. I also love Six because it is Uh the redemption of Kirk. Kirk gets unfairly, this is the soapbox that I will die on. Okay. Kirk is constantly and unfairly classified as, you know, the reckless cowboy who makes out with chicks and solves every problem with a gun. That is true of... Star Trek 3, 4, and 5. Yes. But it is not true of the original series. Mm-hmm. He was an incredibly rules-oriented warrior poet captain who, yes, occasionally would make out with a girl, but it was filmed in the 60s. You got to give them something. He was constantly enforcing rules mm-hmm. on his own crew. Like, he was a very staid and respectable captain until his best friend died and Star Trek Three ran him off the rails a little bit. And in Six is where he finally gets to be that kind of statesman again. Right. I would agree with all of that. And so, yeah. Worst? Worst Star worst. Trek movie? Worst Star Trek movie. I mean, we're, we're probably thinking of the same two, but how I'm do I choose the between them? Oh, I'm going to be so excited if we're okay. legitimately thinking of the same two, which I guess that we are Star Trek five yep. and Star Trek beyond are both abysmal. I think you've got beyond and into darkness flipped in your head. Cause I think beyond is three and into darkness is two. You're probably right. Yeah. The second new Trek, the movie second new Trek movie is the terrible. One. Is the terrible one. Yeah. Sorry um, for that correction. And, and if I have those yeah. wrong, I've lost all my Star Trek cred and that's fine with me. Yeah. So I am going to say that between the two of them, I prefer five. Do ya? Even though nothing works in five, five at the very least has like the three caballeros hanging out and cracking jokes at each other. It does start and end with a nice scene between three characters that we love dealing with the continuity of Spock's Mm -hmm. resurrection. Well, and it's trying to do new things, whereas- (laughs) so bad new trek 2 it's so bad trying so hard to retread other things Mm -hmm. in foolish and incomprehensible ways one of the single best riff tracks i've ever seen if you guys know riff tracks this is michael j nelson and his pals who did mst3k Mm -hmm. for a while started up you can just listen to their commentaries on movies and the star trek 5 one is it amazing? It's amazing okay. because I if need to you watch it, if you are not a Trekkie and you're some reason still here, Star Trek <laughs> Five 
was written and directed by William Shatner. Yes. Who is a bit of a renaissance man. He also wrote science fiction novels. Mm-hmm. Maybe himself. Tech War. We're not sure. Yeah. But, you know, writer, I own a director. copy of Tech War mm-hmm. autographed by John Scalzi. Oh, really? Well, yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he wrote it when he was nine. No, or... I asked him at one of yes. your signings to sign, sign it because sign. I thought yeah. it was funny. But regardless, I am going to flip those. Now, they're very close because the mastery of everything but narrative on display and Star Trek Into Darkness mm-hmm. is great. As happens with J.J.'s movies, really great performances, really great cinematography, great use of special effects. Everything about that movie works except for the fact that the movie doesn't work. Yeah. So The story, the very loose hand that it plays with mm-hmm. technology and with continuity and with everything else, it's just I will say this, Star Trek V is not insulting. And Star Trek Two of the new Trek is a little bit insulting. The way that Spock responds and acts and the way mm-hmm. that they deal with Khan and things just feels so ham-fisted yeah. that it's a bit insulting. Mm-hmm. So, But I will flip those. I will say this. Mm-hmm. Alice Eve, who played, and I can't remember the character's name, mm. the one who is in regular continuity Kirk's ex-wife. Okay. She shows up. In New Trek 2. Mm-hmm. And, you know, aside from the gratuitous, let's make Alice Eve yes. show off her bra scene, mm-hmm. uh, which is stop doing that, movies, um, her character's fantastic. I was very sad that we didn't get her back again in the third movie because I thought she was a great addition to the cast. She added a lot to the group. Mm-hmm. Jayla in the third movie was really good. She was. But I. Wish we had had Alice Eve back. Was the third movie, maybe this is an Adam question, I want to say that uh, it was written or directed by Scotty? Yes. Which one? Was it both? or was it, it was written by Written by... I think yeah. all three were J.J. Abrams. Directed. No, the third one was not J.J. Was it? No, he left for Star Wars. Maybe it Wars. was Simon Pegg then. Yeah. Maybe he did direct it, but I, I think he just produced it. I think okay. he had jumped to Star Wars. So we're on the topic... General thoughts on new Trek, including Discovery and Picard, as new Trek. Okay, so first of all, we live in an absolute golden age. Okay. Before we start this portion of the discussion, I will cement my bona fides by saying Uh that part of the reason I have relatively fond memories of Star Trek V is I actually read the novelization of it. Oh. And that's how big of a nerd I was. Okay. Who Um, wrote it? I don't know. Okay. This was in high school. I didn't pay yeah. attention to authors. They had some really solid authors on the Star Trek books. Some of so. them were very good. Yeah. I read a lot of Star Trek books. Mm-hmm. Living right now, when there are five Star Trek series in active production, even though two of them are terrible and one of them is half terrible. What's the half terrible one? Picard. Oh, uh, okay. What's the other terrible one then? Prodigy. What is that? Prodigy is their quote-unquote middle-grade series. It is a cartoon that's done in a style very reminiscent of, like, the Clone Wars cartoons. Okay. And it's about a group of, And it's worse than Picard? It's so bad. I feel like we need justification. Oh, gosh. (laughs) We'll get to them all. Um, 
there, there's a lot to talk about. There's the three new Trek movies that I yeah. kind of feel like we've covered. The first one, we did a whole writing excuses episode about the first new Trek mm-hmm. movie, Kelvin Timeline. I actually like it a lot. They did a lot of really impressive things. The way that they mirrored Kirk and Spock's character arcs so that they are essentially becoming like the other one yeah. and showing that that's how the friendship forms mm-hmm. works really well for me. Chris Pine as Kirk worked really well for me. He's much more the space cowboy Kirk, but also the way they're screwing with the timeline justifies that because he grew up in a broken home with a deadbeat stepdad instead of with a wonderful stepdad who was a Starfleet officer. Uh And so like there's justifications there. I think a lot of the casting is really, really good. Yeah. I like that one a lot more than a lot of people do. I like it a lot. Like, I think the third one is a better Star Trek film, but Mm -hmm. I might rank the first one above it simply because the task of recasting all of them and having it land is so difficult. And JJ did that so masterfully that the viewing experience of the first one, I went in really skeptical Mm -hmm. and I came out of it saying, wow, that's great. So, yeah. Part of the problem is that everything post-Voyager has been struggling to be new. Yes. Or it's been struggling to be the same. Yeah. In ways that I feel are not necessary. So, and there's absolutely something to be said. The trifecta of Next Gen, DS9, and Voyager had established such a heavy world with a lot of baggage that it was very difficult to bring in new audiences. I can understand why that was problematic. And they decided, hey, you know what? Let's reset everything. With Enterprise. And I think that the first movie, the first JJ movie, we'd have to look this up, but I think it was the first one that made real money. Yeah. Like, I want to say that its box office was five times what any of the other movies I would not be surprised at all. Find that out for me if you can get a a list of those. But I remember looking at it once and just being like, whoa, it might only be like two Mm -hmm. or three times as much, but it was a multiple, I feel. More than any Star Trek movie yeah. had done before. And so as much as I, as the the Uber fan, mm-hmm. wish that they had continued the story post-Voyager, post-Nemesis, yes. I can see why they decided to do a reset on the world. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely can't fault them for doing that recast. I wish they hadn't. I wish they had done something new. But at the same time, I recognize Oop, that I'm, first... I'm getting- I'm getting a, a you've yeah. got it. Oh, they adjusted for inflation on this one. Okay, I don't know, um, adjusted for inflation is still a useful thing. Uh, with adjusted for inflation, the right? motion picture is the second highest, really? and Into Darkness is the highest. And then after that, they all cut by half. Okay, even adjusted for inflation, the top ones are around four to five hundred million, and Nemesis is eighty-seven. Because Nemesis is. At the end of the day, probably the very worst Star Trek movie. So bad that it didn't occur to me. Oh, yeah. Because my brain edits it out. For me, it's... I would watch New Trek 2 or Star Trek 5 before I rewatched Nemesis. I don't think I would, but it is bad. And it's doing that same thing, which is you're talking about here retreading ground it's like what resuscitated the uh original series movies we, they killed the favorite character let's do that yeah. and mm-hmm. then we'll resurrect him yeah. well and it's trying to do the same yeah. thing with the romulans that mm-hmm. undiscovered country did with the klingons like yeah. there's a lot of dumb stuff it does but back to new trek 
Mm-hmm. As much as I wish they had done something more innovative, mm-hmm. I think we absolutely have to credit those movies with the fact that we are now yeah. in the golden age of Star Trek with five series in active production. It brought Star Trek back in a way that hadn't happened since Next Gen in the 80s, and I am grateful to it for that. Okay. So hooray for that. Hooray for that. Okay, so you've watched none of the five series, right? None of them. Prodigy might be better than I give it credit for. It is overtly marketed as a middle-grade show mm-hmm. for kids, and I hate every single character on it except for Janeway. And it might just be that I'm not in the right audience, so not the right demographic it for it. following the original timeline, like if Janeway's in it. So it is a bunch of kids from like a mining planet uh-huh. that were all like prison labor. And they find this old ship that has a hologram of Janeway. Oh, okay. And they all like abscond with this ship and they go off having crazy adventures like... We're not Starfleet officers. We're just a bunch of weird alien kids. Interesting. And our mentor, Hologram Janeway, is going to teach us about life and how to be good people. And the characters are endlessly obnoxious. Like the main character, I just can't stand. But again, I'm not... The target audience, yeah. 13 years old. I don't know if maybe, you know, it's a huge hit for that audience. Okay. So I... Yeah. I will have to watch some of these. I have not chosen to watch Discovery or Picard after seeing previews for them and clips and saying, no, just not, yeah. not for me. And Discovery is a show written by people who desperately wish they were writing for Battlestar Galactica instead. Mm. Or for Stargate Universe or, you know, one of those really gritty, dour shows where no one's happy and, and everything is bad all the time. It is a very adolescent idea of how to make something important by making it sad Mm. and part of the problem and this is a double-sided problem because we're Mm. talking about money netflix in exchange for the exclusive international rights outside of the u.s Mm. the only way to watch discovery is on netflix they bought that by fully funding five full seasons of discovery before any of it had been produced Whoops. Yeah, which means that, first of all, we're guaranteed to get five seasons of Discovery, but it also means that there's absolutely no financial or evolutionary pressure for that show to be good or find an audience because it's already fully paid for by Netflix. And it absolutely has its fans, and Mm. there are aspects of the show that I really like, but uh, it's just tiresome how edgy it is constantly trying to be i will say this michelle yo was on it for mm-hmm. a few seasons and i love her doug jones plays saru who is absolutely one of my all-time favorite star trek characters he's fantastic in everything he does and michael burnham while uh, she is a terrible captain is a really great character that i enjoy watching okay in fact a lot of them What's his name? Anthony Rapp. He's a really fun science officer. Like a lot of the characters work, but the show as a whole just doesn't gel together. Picard is in a similar space. They're trying to be different. They're trying to be quote unquote important and serious. 
and they just end up losing the formula that made Star Trek work in the first place. And Strange New Worlds is like, you know what? Fine. Like you said at the beginning, okay, you whiny audience, we're just going to do a real Star Trek show with a, you know, bright colors and a cast that likes each other and they use science to solve problems and it's absolutely delightful. Everything about it works. As an example of how the two uh -huh. series like Discovery because you know it's a reboot back to like Enterprise okay. era they brought Harry Mudd back. Do you remember Harry Mudd? I do remember He was Harry the Mudd. goofball from the original series yep. who was like always yep. trying to steal things uh -huh. or con people. Uh, he's in two episodes and they're both kind of jokey, funny episodes. They brought him back in Discovery. They got uh, Dwight Schrute to play him. Okay. And he is dour and edgy and angry and he is not fun in the least tiny bit because Discovery has to be the edgy show. Whereas Strange New Worlds brings back Cybok from Star Trek V. Okay. And you only get like the barest hint of, you know, Spock at the end of an episode is like, we need to look out because my brother is one of these dangerous like Vulcans who embraces their emotions and he's going to be scary. And it's wonderful. The fact that Discovery made Harry Mudd not fun, not fun, and that Strange New Worlds was able to make Cybok seem ominous is such a stark and telling example, I think, of the difference in quality between the two shows and how they're handling Star Trek's history. Awesome. I think Ben's going to love this episode. <laughs> I hope so. Or he's going to be really angry at us for messing things up. So <laughs> how's that, Ben? Ben? <laughs>